1 Kings chapter 17, we will continue where we started last week in terms of the life of Elijah and his ministry in a time of the life of Israel where they really became what is known as apostate, which means that they slipped away from God and they started to worship idols in a very big way. First Kings chapter 17, going to read verse 7. We find Elijah at the brook where the Lord commanded the ravens of heaven to give him bread and uh, meat. And what will happen, what happened then, of course, was the, the uh, in, uh, inevitable drying up of the creek because it uh, hadn't rained. So, verse 7, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So we went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may, I may have to drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few steaks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread and for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman had <coughs> who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, Why? What would you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room, 
where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy tragedy also upon this widow that I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the body three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down to the room of the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Once again, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. It is written of Michelangelo who was also known as the divine madman as Richardson once wrote on the back of one of his drawings that whenever he was meditating on some great design he closed himself up from the world and a friend then asked him one day why do you lead such a solitary life? Michelangelo then replied, Art is a jealous God. It requires the whole and entire man. During his mighty labor in the Sistine Chapel, he refused to have any communion with any person, even at his own home. Art is a jealous God. It requires the whole and entire man. More so is the creator of the universe, God our Father. We read about this command in the Ten Commandments, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, (coughs) punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Some people struggle with this, this concept of God being a jealous God. To me, it is one of the most comforting Of all doctrines. God cares for me and He cares for His own holiness, and therefore He is a jealous God. He would not allow any other God to have something of me, but He demands of me 
to have no other God before him. Israel in the time of King Ahab and his godless, cold-blooded, idol-worshipper wife Jezebel was exactly at the point of being on the wrong side of God's covenant. So by the way, I was thinking of all the bad things I could add as attributes to the life of Jezebel. Boy, she was, she was bad. The prophets of the Lord were killed. The temple was desecrated. And on top of it, they created the true worship of the living God for the worship of lifeless, dumb, deaf idols. Man will forever worship something, but in his spiritual blindness he chooses wrong and worship what brings death, not life. Verse 33 of chapter 16 says of Ahab that he provoked the Lord and caused him to anger. Yet, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11 to 12, the Lord declared, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you, You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, that I am God. When God made a covenant with His people, a covenant is another word for an an agreement with His people, so that they would live in a relationship with Him and He would promise them certain things as their father and that He would demand of them certain things as His children. He promised to be with them, protect them, guide them, bless them, and give them an inheritance. When he led them out of Egypt, he did not forget them. Even in a foreign land, he cared for them so that they would eat from the food bowls of the enemy. He provided for them water and manna and quails and protected them against the enemy. He was good for them and honored his agreement with them. But then their unfaithfulness came between them and the Lord. They were not faithful. Time and time and again they turned against the Lord, worshipped other gods and sinned against God. He would then withdraw from them his hand of blessings till they repent and he would forgive them according to his covenant mercies. And at the time of Ahab the same thing happened. Israel slipped into a trap of slavery of sin and took pleasure in provoking the Lord. It did not mean a thing to them that God became angry with them. Blinded by sin and disobedient, they followed the king and the queen into the destruction of God's anger. So when the heavens stopped giving rain and and the appointed times, like most of us today, they sought answers in all the wrong places. Never did it occur to them that an answer to their problem was as close as a prayer of repentance to the Almighty God to be gracious to them. How clever can we be in times of trouble? And we can look for all sorts of ideas as to why all of this has come upon us. And now in our day and age, we've got theories about this, and all the theories all of a sudden became realities. It's climate change. 
I thought about it. Do you think that our society, our modern society, is any better than it was in the time of Noah? I don't think. I don't think so. Why would God not visit us with all forms of calamity to bring us back to Him? Therefore, God visited His people. Some people probably thought, wouldn't it be better if God just went away and turned His face on those who provoke Him and anger Him? Did God's righteousness compel Him to leave His people on their own, to their own devices without Him? The world would love to think God has given up and walked away. God is not part of our thinking anymore. God is dead. That is according to the thinking of this world. But that's a big mistake. Something happened in the time of Ahab. We looked at it last week. God sent his prophet to the king with these words, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. After this, God commanded Elijah to stay outside of the borders of Israel. First of all, God sent him to that brook on the eastern side of the Jordan where he would command the ravens to feed him. And God did as he promised. The ravens did feed him. They dropped the meat and the bread for him in the evening and in the morning, and God allowed, allowed the brook to provide water. Elijah did not have an abundance, <clears throat> but he lived from the personal provision of God. And sometimes I think, what an adventure. We've become so used to worry about what we will eat and drink that in the end, that is the only thing that we live for. Whereas, what a wonderful thing it would be to know that we don't have an abundance, but what we have is what God provides for us each day. Elijah's prayer for, wrath, for the wrath of God upon the sinful nation did not leave him untouched. The very prayer of Elijah that God would hear to became the trap for him. But if God would answer his first prayer by providing for him, why would God not continue to provide for him? I don't know who of you visited the outback uh, corner of New South Wales between uh, Queensland, New South Wales, and South Australia, um, northwest of Tipperbara. That's where I used to do my work as uh, Padre. There's an amazing piece of history there. Charles Sturt, the explorer of many outback Australian areas, 
found himself and his men on their way to search for the great mysterious inland sea in the center of Australia. They left Adelaide to travel through what was known as uh, what's now known as Broken Hill. And about 200 kilometers north of Broken Hill, they realized that they were running out of water. He sent men out to search for streams, and eventually they found a water hole in what is today called the Corner Country, not far away from Milparinka, south of Tipibara. The place is now called Mount Poole. <clears throat> Exhausted, they arrived at the Billabong and rejoiced in the providence of God giving them water. So, by the way, Charles Turt, in many of his uh, journals, make uh, a mention of the fact that he usually prayed for his people and sometimes even uh, held devotions for them. Then... After a few weeks, to his horror, Charles Sturt worked out his dilemma. The water is both their life and their death. For as long as they stayed there, they would have water, but they would die of hunger. If they left in search for food, they would die of thirst. And his two in second in charge, James Poole, eventually died of scurvy and was buried under a wild grevillea tree. But God was merciful to them by sending them rain in time and they could continue on their journey. But this was not the case with Elijah. He could leave the dry creek bed and say goodbye to the squawking ravens but not for one moment was he not in the hands of God. My friend, such is the providence of God still upon those who close, who choose to remain faithful to the Lord, opposing the godlessness of this world and what it has on offer. Even if we have to employ the power of prayer to even in our day pray for God's visitation on a sinful nation, then we need to know that the effect of God's visitation upon the godless will have an effect upon us, but never will we be left without the providence of God. History's page is full of examples of those who trusted God and served Him with an undivided heart. The cost of not doing so is just too high what hope do we have when God visits this godless nation and we find ourselves heads down in the troughs with those who hate and mock the Holy One of Heaven? We have no chance. Even today, as we worship here, there are faithful people of God in other parts of the world like Sudan and Indonesia and parts of the Middle East standing by their principles to worship Him and Him alone rather than to be contaminated by the principles of this world. And maybe we need to take on the challenge to once again shake the dust from our feet, repent from our worldliness to find shelter in the, at the foot of the cross of our Savior. Yes, we will probably have to say goodbye to many of the conveniences of home and possessions. But once again, we will understand when it comes 
to serving God that it means to live from the hand of God. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness before we will understand that all the other things will then be added unto us, as the Bible says. Therefore, Elijah knew what it meant to be on the right side of the covenant of God. The Lord took Elijah away from the borders of the land, this time to the north into the land of the evil Jezebel, where he ordained someone to serve him. Now, I know that it is very small print, but on that map on the last page of your uh, handout, you might follow the road that he took. On the right, on the left top corner of that map, that is where he went to. And once again, Elijah was tested. He crossed the Jordan River, which was then probably turned into nothing more than just a dribble. For hundreds of kilometers, he saw the devastation and the effect of his prayer that the Lord would shut the heavens. The carcasses of dead animals littered the landscape. The paddocks were bone dry and the people starved. The camel trains of the traders were not to be seen as the economy grinded to a halt. You Can you imagine what went, into the, what, what, what went on in the heart of Elijah? Here he was. He was the one who prayed for the drought. He saw the devastation of it. It was not for his good that it happened. It was for the good of the people and the glory of God. Now what kept him sticking to his task? One thing. The faithfulness of God. Even now on his way to be looked after by a widow. Imagine that. The last person to lean on in time of desperate need in those times would be a widow. Not a rich man go to a widow. So Elijah trusted God. He went to the widow in a foreign land where, where this godless Jezebel came from. Well, it's not so bad if one keeps in mind that the widow belongs to God. This is, what, this is what the people of God should have done. Instead, they trusted an idol. How stupid and dull can sinful men be? Turn away from the living God who made it all and gives abundantly to those who fear Him and serve Him with an undivided heart, and you get this sort of logic. I'll go and I'll serve something else, and I'll... I'll work it out. Well, it doesn't work out now. So I go to someone else. They will work it out. Well, it doesn't work out now. And it just goes from bad to worse. So where do I stop? It's amazing. Today, all run after climate change and global warming and a desperate panic over rising sea levels, less rain and more frequent devastating cyclones. Well, it's true. Life without God can be devastating. Keep him out of your life and a deadly paralyzing panic sets in. Because if man has to look after himself and to provide for himself, what chances does he have? <clears throat> what was the old widow gathering when Elijah got to the city gate? Sticks. The original says stubble, something you can, you could use to kindle a fire with, 
but not something you can eat. Elijah asked for the impossible, water and bread. That was the only bit of grocery she had left. It was probably a sobering answer for Elijah, who had just traveled hundreds of kilometers to escape the effects of this terrible, terrible drought. But God promised, and he will provide, and so he did. God says, don't be afraid. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry. So, Mrs. Widow, trust God. Till that dreadful morning when she saw the lifeless body of her young boy on the bed. For days prior, she saw him slipping away, and the prophet had done nothing to help. And now he's dead. What's good in a bottomless jar and an ever overflowing oil jug? If you've lost your dearest. First your husband. And now your son. She took it that the, that the holy God of Elijah visited her. To punish her for her sins of the past. But Elijah did not answer her allegations. He just asked for the dead son. In the upper room of the widow's house. He prayed again to the living God. Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and brought the boy back to life. This was the first recorded incidence of a person raised to life in the Bible. God is good. And it was probably to Elijah as it was to Ezekiel and the Valley of the Dead Bones an enormous encouragement to know that God is powerful to also bring back to life his people, Israel. Israel, God's chosen son, even after, after the depths of spiritual darkness and death, they found themselves in under Ahab and Jezebel. It was almost as if the, the breath of Elijah was symbolic of the breath of the Spirit of God breathing into a lifeless church, a new life and hope and service to the Lord on the day of Pentecost as His people prayed in the upper room then. This episode to us serves as a precursor to the real Son of God, Jesus Christ. He was more than Elijah and more than any other prophet. He was the one who took the sins of straying Israel, the sins of you and me and of, of, of the world upon him. Those who could not even learn from their mistakes by turning their backs to God because of their stubborn sinfulness and hardness of heart, and he, he took it upon him. And he also died after he took the punishment of the righteous God to himself. 
But God raised him so that those who believe in him will never really die but have eternal life. That is the message of the Bible. My dear brother and sister, where God is not loved with an undivided heart and where he is treated as just another foreign God, there he is not in the midst of his people. The covenant of grace he made with his people demands his righteousness to pour out wrath and curse instead. Man is left to his own devices and there is simply no future. Is this what we've seen in our day? More so, has the church gone along in a spirit of unholy worldliness by contaminating her minds, by thinking the thoughts of this world after it? Then there is no hope for us. God will raise up a people for himself somewhere else. He is not dependent on us. And like Elijah, we are called to serve God with an undivided heart because he is a jealous God and God does not change. He does not share his life and his love with anyone else. Let us learn that lesson today. But let us also learn this lesson today. Nothing is impossible for God. If he did not withhold his dear son, but gave him for us also, will he not give us what we need to fulfill what he called us to do? And therefore we need to understand today, seek the righteousness of God. When? Sometimes? First! Seek the righteousness of God first, and all the other things will be added. Seek Christ first, and all the other things will be added. Follow Him with an undivided heart through the spiritual drought of this world. Lay down at His feet your desires as a sacrifice to His service, and trust Him to add what is needed for your journey of service, all for His glory. Michelangelo said, Art is a jealous God. It requires the whole and entire man. But, because God gave us everything, everything, not just art, everything, He demands our heart, our life, our soul, our mind, our strength. Think about it. Amen. Our Lord and our Father, we stand before you as people who have been contaminated by this world. We've allowed this world to come into our homes and into our hearts, into our mind. We've allowed uh, popular ideas to, to dominate the way in which we live. We confess that, Lord, and we know that turning away is hard. Because when we come to you, we cannot come half-heartedly. Because if we are lukewarm, we're not acceptable. Let us either cold or warm. So, Father, today we repent. And we ask, teach us to live from your hand. 
each day. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.